0: The scripture lesson today comes from 1 Thessalonians, the second chapter, verses 1 through 8. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, So we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. And now this reading from Matthew, the 22nd chapter. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Would you believe me if I told you that I haven't always gotten it right? Would you believe me if I told you that I wasn't perfect? Y'all are awfully quiet. I find it hard to believe that I've gotten it wrong so many times in the past. When I look back on my life, I can remember times when things just didn't go the way that I know they probably should have. There are times when it hits me that I'm one of the pastors of a very large and very faithful congregation that does a lot of good work in the name of Jesus Christ and the world and the community here. And the thoughts start running through my mind, who am I to lead these people? Sometimes it seems like these people are getting it right more than I am. What makes me so qualified to be helping lead people into a deeper faith? How can someone like me have so many people looking to me as an example of the way to live out the faith in which we believe? And then I start to wonder, what sort of perception do you actually have of me? My perspective is just a little bit different because my dad is a pastor and I know that he isn't perfect and therefore that means that not all pastors are perfect. I know that there are times when they get it wrong. I know that there are people that they don't like dealing with. I know that there are people that they just don't like. I've just always sort of taken it for granted that Jesus is the only person in history who has managed to get it right every moment of his life. I was talking with Allie not too long ago about this, and she said something that really got my attention. She said that a lot of people think pastors are perfect. They think that we get it right every time. She said a lot of people... Think that pastors love and like everybody. A lot of people elevate pastors to a level of almost perfection when it comes to living out our faith. And then I started thinking, if this is what you think about me, if you think that I am perfect and always get it right, and that I like every single person that I have to deal with, I need to let you know that that's not correct. Pastors aren't always right when it comes to living out the faith that we teach and that we try to live out and that we do our best to protect and to pass on to other people. When I was in high school, I was the typical mean jock. I just was. I played baseball, and I was good. Not just good. I I was really, really good. And I knew it. And I hung out with the popular kids, and I had one of those cool cars, probably the coolest car in the school if you ask me, and I dominated on the baseball field. There were other kids in school that would get picked on frequently. And I had no problem joining in, picking on them. There were things that I did that I'm not proud of. And looking back on it, I wish with everything that I am that I could take back. I just wasn't a very nice person when I was in high school. And I find this to be sort of interesting since every single Sunday morning when I was in high school, I was in church. And every single Sunday night when we had youth group, I was at youth group. And every single night that we had an administrative council meeting or some other board meeting at the church, I was on those too. I was involved. I was at retreats. I did everything that you could do at church. My parents, my youth leaders, all of those other people around me at church had no idea how badly I would mess up the other six days of the week. And then I would come back to church and get scrubbed up and cleaned on Sundays. When I got to seminary, I was still in the process of knocking off some of those rough edges in my life. And I met a group of guys that were a year ahead of me in seminary. We hung out a lot. We studied together. We got to know one another really well. We knew each other's backgrounds. We knew each other's demeanors, our personalities. And at the start of my second year, each of them were working in churches. And they were getting ready to receive their first appointments as pastors. And we were driving somewhere one Saturday afternoon, and an interesting conversation came up. The guys started talking about changes that had happened within their lives and within their hearts that affected the way that they lived out their faith. And I knew them very well. I could see that over the last year that I had known them and that we had spent time together, that there had been a real change in them, that they really were different people than when I started to know them. The problem was they weren't seeing very much of a change in me. They weren't seeing very much growth in my spiritual health or in my faith. And so I spent the first year of seminary learning about the Bible and learning about God, learning about Methodism, but I didn't spend very much time learning how to put it into practice. I was going to church each Sunday, but I really didn't think about God very much the rest of the week, except in an academic setting. I wasn't finding practical ways that my faith was making any difference. In the midst of this conversation, one of the guys in the car looked at me and he said, this isn't a game anymore. This is real life. God has chosen you to lead his people. That's why you're qualified. You've got to love God to do that. And to love God, you're going to have to start loving other people. You're going to have to start loving those people God loves, and you're going to have to start loving yourself. Just learning about God is not enough. You have to start loving him, and you need to start now. That conversation has stuck with me. It stuck with me because it was the first time that somebody looked me in the eyes and said, what you're doing matters. The way that you live matters because people are watching you. God has called you to lead people. God's called you to lead people. What you're doing, the way you're living, matters. It required a change in my behavior. But more importantly, it was going to require a change in my heart. It didn't matter how much time I spent in church when I was growing up. It didn't matter how many youth group events I went to. It didn't matter how many retreats I went on or how many uh, meetings I attended. It didn't even matter that I was in seminary learning about God. None of that stuff mattered if I didn't have the love of God in my heart, reflecting it to everyone I encountered. This conversation that we had that day called me to start reexamining everything I knew about God. And it also caused me to start reexamining everything I knew about my faith and the way that I practiced it. I realize just how important a calling it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We don't all have to be pastors to realize how important our faith is. And we don't have to always get it right to be Christians. We just have to try. We meet God halfway and God's grace will take us the rest. People watch Christians to find out about Christianity if they're really interested in it. And people who want to know more about this faith won't usually ask you very much about it until they've observed the way that you live and decide whether or not the effort is going to be worth what they're going to be doing. The Pharisees come to Jesus with a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? They wanted a simple answer. They wanted Jesus to elevate one law above another so that they could trap Him and they could show everyone that Jesus was picking and choosing favorites with the law's. As far as they were concerned, the laws were the laws, and each one, no matter how insignificant or how large it may seem, they were all important and all equally important, and they had to follow them all. And so they're saying, Jesus, which one do we have to follow if we're going to get it right? They're trying to make this a game of semantics. and Jesus quickly lets them know this isn't a game. This is real life. And they need to start acting like it. Jesus doesn't give them the quick answer that they're hoping for. He doesn't just elevate one law above the others. He gives them a totally different law. One that they may have known, one that they may not have. This is the greatest commandment. You've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. But he didn't stop there. He said to love God is good. You have to love God. But the most important commandment that's that's what it is but he goes on to attach one more part to this command if you're going to do that right if you're going to do that well the second part is like it you have to love your neighbor as yourself you can't love god and not love your neighbor you can't be doing good in the name of christ while rejecting the children of god loving god is easy at least when we think about it in terms of the way that we want to love God. We want to be able to love God by going to church. We want to be able to love God by reading the Bible. We want to be able to love God by going to all the outreach events that make the quality of people's lives better and also make us feel good about ourselves. Loving our neighbor, though, that little second part of this command, that's the tough part. You might ask, who is my neighbor? I know I have. When you're asking that, more times than not, you've already got somebody in your mind that you're hoping you don't have to love. Remember how I told you when I was in high school I was essentially a bully. Almost all of us have those tendencies with certain people. We might not even realize it. We might do it as if it's just everyday life. And then we start thinking about what we just did a couple of minutes later and think, oh, got it wrong again. We don't all take it as far as I used to, but almost all of us, when we hear this passage, immediately think, Yes, Jesus, I love my neighbor. But then we think about it. Do I really? All of them? Or just the ones that I like to think are my neighbors? There's an interesting thing that happens between our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. I've noticed the correlation in my life. The more that I read about God and the more that I pray, the more that I understand about God's love and God's mercy and God's grace, the better my relationships are with everyone, but especially the better my relationships are with those that I have trouble seeing as my neighbors. When I was in high school and going to church a lot, I wasn't reading my Bible, I wasn't praying, and I wasn't trying to put my theology into use in a concrete way that made a difference. I wasn't trying to think through all of the ways that I had gotten it wrong and God's grace had forgiven me that God's grace had made it okay, that God had said, I love you anyway, let's do better. Once I was able to take a step back and examine my life, it wasn't hard to find all of the cracks that God's grace had filled in to put me back together. Once I was able to see that I wasn't perfect and that God still loves me anyway, I was able to start loving other people that I had trouble loving before. That doesn't mean that all of a sudden I started spending all sorts of time with these people. That doesn't mean that some of them don't still annoy me. What it does mean is that I'm able to look them in the eye. And I'm able to see them as an equal to myself. I'm able to look them in the eye and see them as a beloved child of God. One who may not be perfect, but one who is loved by God anyway. Once I was able to see them as a beloved child of God. One who is made in God's own image. I was able to love them in a new way. These Pharisees. They wanted a simple answer. They wanted Jesus to tell them what the bare minimum was that they had to do in order to uphold and fulfill the law that had been given to them. They wanted to know out of all of the hundreds of laws, which one was the most important. He gave them a different law. He gives us a different law. We don't have to remember all of those hundreds of laws in order to get it right. We just have to remember the one law with two parts. Did I give God my tithe this week? Check. We love checklists, right? Did I go to church this week? Check. Did I read my Bible at least once this week? Check. Did I pray at least once this week? Check. These things aren't that hard to do. The Pharisees had checklists. And they could uphold them. The Pharisees knew this. If they were to be able to love God, And if all they had to do was fulfill a checklist, then that's not very difficult. Anyone can do it. It doesn't matter where your heart is to check off a checklist. But if you ask yourself this, have I loved the person that I have trouble speaking to this week? That's loving God. Have I given a voice to someone who doesn't have a voice? That's loving God. Have I made a stranger or traveler's life better this week in some way? That's loving God. Has there been a reconciliation between me and someone else? That's loving God. Folks, God created this entire world to work in perfect harmony with itself. But it doesn't always do that because of the consequences of sin that we have to live in the midst of right now. And what Jesus is telling the Pharisees is this. You want to love God and God wants to love you. There's no doubt about that. And no matter what you do, God is going to love you. That's a promise. But if you're going to love God, you've got to love your neighbor. You've got to love your neighbors, all of them. You have to be reconciled to your brother or sister. You have to give of yourself to the poor and those in need. If you're going to love God, you have to love everyone that God loves. And if you can't do that, try. The grace of God will make up the rest. You want to know what the greatest command is? Do you want to know what the greatest command is so that you can know the minimum of what to do? Or do you want to know what the greatest commandment is so that your love for God and your love for your neighbor can be the very best and strongest it can be? Go. Love God. Love your neighbor. Spread the good news. That is the greatest command. Amen.